Christmas on 1FM. Now on BBC Radio 1FM, two hours of award-winning Chris Morris. This Boxing Day special contains material and language that some people might find offensive. So if you're not ready for two hours of Aural GBH, then please join us later at three for Mark Goodyear. OK, stand by. Hello, and welcome to Lots Unfamiliar, the show that remembers that when Radio 4 Extra repeated Victor Lewis Smith's Boxing Day Radio 1 show from 1992, there was an extra couple of seconds at the end where Victor dropped a tambourine that had never been heard before. I'm fairly sure only I spotted that. I'm Tim Worthington, and joining me today with a slight festive twist to talk about, well, I'm going to qualify this here. It's not just some of the things that he remembers that no one ever seems to. It's three radio shows that you would think, because of the people involved, would be better known and better remembered than they are. But we'll get round to that in a minute. Joining me today, as I said, is podcaster Phil Catterall. So before we get into all that, Phil... What are you up to? Where can we find it? Before I even do that, that's the most Tim Worthington intro you've ever done for this. It's on brand, I, I'll admit. <laughs> anyway, yeah, so I do a podcast with Ben Baker called Don't Let's Chart, which is me and him going through lists and making jokes. I think I've laid the premise of the show a little too bare there. You can find that on all your podcast places as Don't Let's Chart. There's a Twitter account, which is at Don't Let's Chart, and there is a barely used Gmail address, Don't let's chart at gmail.com we have to date had one email and is there a christmas special in the pipeline he says harking ahead to something in this <laughs> yes there is, there is indeed so that's fun okay well speaking of christmas specials we're moving on to the first of your three choices now this is the start of it this is what went out at 10 30 a.m on radio 4 on 25th of december 1991 pin back your lug holes because this is a little bit forthright this is on the hour at christmas mary joseph and the news hour such is politics it's a painful business on the hour what you mustn't do in politics is listen to people it's a painful business on radio 4 such is politics i think it is increasingly accepted that a country cannot pursue policies i think we are extremely unwise to raise this question but mr scargill didn't have the floor with him on the hour with christopher morris okay that was Christopher Morris at the start of Phil. The On The Hour Christmas, I don't want to call it special, episode. I'm going to say it was an episode rather than a special. Because it's the same length as a normal episode and everything. Yeah, it's... I don't know, do we need to explain what On The Hour is? Well, we may do, because it is the weird kind of poor relation to the day-to-day, which I think most yeah. people will know, which is the TV adaptation of it. On The Hour was... In some ways, although it was very big at the time, it was quite a short-lived Radio 4 series, mm. just really turning Radio 4 and bits of other stations on its head, taking all the tropes like the the Time Signal, programmes like Moneybox and so on, which we may yeah. get back to in a minute, just making fun of them in a totally believable way. And it was there were total unknowns at that point. The key players, despite what you might read now, well, Armando Iannucci, who was basically just a producer at that point, Chris Morris, who was a local radio DJ, and Stuart Lee and Richard Herring, who were writing gags for Weekending. Yeah, I didn't hear this in, was it 1992? 91. Well, sort of 92, but we'll explain that in a bit. OK, so I, I wasn't listening to Radio 4 yet. I, I was about 14 before I started regularly listening to Radio 4. So I via the aforementioned Lee and Herring went no, later found all this other stuff. So this I think I heard on uh, what would have then been BBC Seven, which I think you have to say in an echoey voice with a northern accent if you um <laughs> That'll mean something to anyone that heard BBC Seven before it became Radio 4 Extra, which was just you know, archive, mostly archive comedy. Bits and bobs of other stuff, but but that was the bulk of their output. So, yeah, I, I heard it after the fact. But I'd listened to enough Radio 4 from like a couple of years later that I did actually get the weird and very specific references that are in this. It's a parody very much of Radio 4 in the early 90s, isn't it? Yeah. Yes, absolutely. The real standout in this for me was, I should give a bit of background really. It's interesting that you came to it later on, 
because I listened to the very first on the hour, because weirdly, I kind of knew of all of the key players beforehand, because I had heard Chris Morris was occasionally mentioning things like the NME, because he was getting up to all kinds of very strange things on local radio, and he was quite hip, knew his music really well, which will come into one of your later choices, so they covered him quite a lot. And then he turned up on Radio 1 for a one-off show on Christmas Day in 1990, which didn't resurface for years. But I remember he hooked straight away when it starts off with him playing him singing We Wish You Merry Christmas backwards repeatedly, but then playing him singing it backwards forwards. And then suddenly in the new year, he's in this programme with Armando Yunucci, whose name was familiar to me from... He produced the Mary Whitehouse Experience on Radio 1, which is their first real big comedy show. I think mm. he occasionally makes sort of, not quite cameos in it, but there's bits where they kind of address him, like when yeah. he can't get a tape to play and so on. And also, Stuart Lee and Richard Herring, this was around the time I was trying to make it as a weekending writer. Oh. And I was studying the credits really closely. Weirdly, you know, hearing about all these people like, well, he was Harry Hall at that point, Al Murray, Mark Griffiths, who's now one of my best friends for some regular <laughs> name around then. But Suddenly, there were all these references to people like Elaine Spanky McFarlane from the 60s band Spanky and Our Gang. You know, all these <clears> names <throat> that I found funny for no reason. Well, I didn't know who Lionel Cosgrave was, but, no, but... There were these two new names in the credits. And I wrote to them, basically saying, are you the guys who've done this? How do you know that these things are funny? <laughs> and that was, they did explain that was the entire dynamic of their act. They'd met at university and they kind of, they both knew why specific people and names were funny. It's weird that you mentioned Weekending because oddly within arm's reach of me right now is, is our friend Justin Lewis and, uh, and Ian Greaves' book on Weekending, which I can't even remember why it's in this room. It has no reason to be here. I think I was showing some people on the webcam look you could kill a bear with this <laughs> well i was actually going to mention ian later to thank him for sourcing good quality copies of a couple of clips i'll be using this so i'll just thank oh, him I... now thanks ian thanks and thanks thanks for writing the book which i believe drove both of you to near madness so that's... <laughs> but yeah so i listened to the first on the hour and I loved it straight away. I was obsessed with it. And there were five in that first run. And then it was on on Christmas Day. And I was so excited. It's interesting because it's not quite like the other shows. It's a bit more like they're having a bit of a laugh. There's a bit of an end of term feel to it. I'm going to go further. I think a lot of it is quite bad listening to it again just recently. There's a prank phone call in it to the RSPCA, which I think is dreadful. There's no joke to it. There's Well, there's one joke. There's one joke at the end that I particularly enjoyed, which was the, where she lists the dog's trust and things like that. And he, re he replies, yeah, I've always had my suspicions about those organisations. <laughs> but, but the rest of the call is just like, what's the joke? I don't understand what the joke is for this. And I found it funny when I first heard it. It's just, it's lost me now. Maybe this was not what you were expecting from this conversation. But all the actual written stuff, I quite like. The prank call is just, ugh. Well, I do like, I'm going to say, there's a bit where there's an extended parody of Breakaway, which yes. I was rolling on the floor laughing when I very first heard this because I can't remember what. There was something my dad used to listen to on Radio 4 every Saturday morning. So Radio 4 would be on mm. when we rolled out a bit, because, you know, I was like 16 when On The Hour was first on. You know, we, we'd all stagger downstairs and he'd just leave it on. And then Breakaway would come on with that dreadful Charleston theme. You know, let's do the breakaway, come on and shake away, it's got the grooviest syncopation. And it was a travel show for some reason on Saturday morning, presented by Bernard Fork from TV's Now Get Out of That. And the only time I remember thinking there was anything good about it was one week he was ill. Uh, no, that's not the cool bit about it. <laughs> he was ill. Bill Oddy, they must have just dragged him in off the street. He was presenting it and he said, you might be asking yourself, what's a goodie doing presenting Breakaway? <laughs> I wouldn't call it a savage parody because it's just poking fun at it. But there's a, there's a brilliant parody of the theme song. <laughs> yes. It's time to go away on the jolly holiday. Go away, go away, bloody go away. 
But that, there's Fox Popses in that where he talks to people about whether something is a suitable holiday destination. They're clearly just people walking around the streets <laughs> of London who have been amused by it. And the one that really gets me is a guy who just says at the end for no reason, and a very good bus service. Yes. <laughs> yes. <laughs> and also elsewhere in the show, there are Vox Popses with people who it's the character Jimmy Tinker who was normally he when they sent up Radio 4's You and Yours the consumer programme yes Jimmy yeah. Tinker was the presenter of that but he goes out to interview those brave people who'll be working on Christmas Day <laughs> and he's stopping all these old people who are getting quite a lot but there's one in particular who appears to think that if he doesn't vehemently deny it he will be made to work on Christmas Day he says you're wrong really <laughs> that, that, that's it's the second one that I, I, I like the second one of those slightly more because it, because the second one ends with still then hello (laughs) (laughs) i looked up the theme song to breakaway and apparently it's from a film that was destroyed in a fire (laughs) (laughs) i did not know this it's it's destroyed deliberately in a fire by me there was there was there was a a fire at one of the fox studios buildings where they stored all the films and the specific film that that song is from was destroyed as well as many others you know but it's just it was just one of those weird wikipedia journeys where you're like oh, what's this where's that from what's, oh fire oh, okay <laughs> but yes it does end with something that has a bit more oomph to it from lee and herring i assume because it's uh yeah <laughs> Yeah, there's very little, actually, the inherent material in this. I think because they were working on another show at that point. But there's the... Obviously, they did the Green Desk, which has got have sex with me and save a tree. Yes. Where Lump Bob Gnarly, the lumberjack, says if people have sex with him, he can't chop down trees. But yeah, right at the end, there's the... When they used to do the American News Reports, I'm still amazed they got away with some of these now. But this one of the Daimler Jeffries ones. Yes. Where... Bear in mind, I don't think Jeffrey Dahmer had even gone on trial yet. Daimler Jeffries, a serial killer, asked to be executed, dressed as Father Christmas, with fairy lights, with children watching. <laughs> they nail the crass way Americans report these things so brilliantly. Four-year-old Mary Jo Brooke pulls the lever, and Daimler moves from death row to his death throes. This is one Santa Claus the kids will very definitely see go up the chimney. Barbara Wintergreen, CBN News, Milwaukee Penitentiary. Brilliant acting in it as well from Patrick Marber as Daimler Jeffries, who I'm going to say Patrick Marber does not get enough credit for how good an actor he was in on the hour and the day to day. I think he probably does for the day to day because he's got Peter O'Hanra Hanra yeah, there, yeah. which is of all the best bits of that show, that's definitely the one that sticks with me more more than anything else. But yeah, you're probably right for on the hour. He's, he he does some very very good work in that. I think for a long time it was probably overshadowed amongst people who were fans of Lee and Herring by the the feud that they had <laughs> which even if you didn't really know who Patrick Marble was when you were watching the their BBC2 show the fact that they'd got you know him in the gallery being, being <laughs> murdered and things was was a hint that you were not supposed to like this person <laughs> I do like the story of apparently they sort of made up a couple of years ago right and it was precipitated by Patrick Marble saying that I think his kids had seen some fist of fun on YouTube <laughs> said, why do these men hate you <laughs> brings me round to what I was going to come on to next which is the reason they fell out was over the ownership of a character who features very prominently in this episode who is? Alan Partridge Alan Partridge who he goes through what he describes as if a week is a long time in politics and the year is 12 months in sport but proceeds it with a story about <laughs> putting a turkey in the wrong car it is even funnier than most radio handovers managed yes. to see Yes, but it also has, on the hour, had the handovers between Chris and Alan just become increasingly absurd as things went yeah. on. I think this, might, this is my second favourite one, after Alan, I understand your wife's just died. Yeah. Um, <laughs> this is Alan, I understand you've just been sick, which is then <laughs> followed by an explanation of just how sick he's been. And it does have, I mean, I will say, I don't think it's the greatest Alan Partridge sketch in that one, but it does have when he's reporting on the Formula One. Yeah, and just start going through the chicane, through the chicane. For what? The same. It's probably about twelve seconds, if that. But I remember when I first listened to it, it felt like about seven hours. In a good way. You can hear him go from excited to bored in that twelve seconds. (laughs) 
I think it's mostly just the the vox pop stuff that that didn't properly land with me and seemed mean spirited. Now, now we've been discussing it. Yeah, no, fair enough. It's 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 good, but as you say, it's got that end of term feel to it. But there's something else that's not that good in it, and yet when it originally went out it was much better. I'm not explaining that very well, but basically, as I say, I first heard this in 1991. I've listened to it every Christmas day since then. I will again this year. I will be kicked out of bed if I'm lucky enough, but I'll be (laughs) listening to it. But the thing is, that version I heard in 1991 isn't the one that you can get on CD. It isn't the one you can stream. It isn't the one that most people have downloaded from, well, probably what Ian Greaves put online years ago. Yeah. Because it was repeated at Christmas 1992, and the roundup of the year had topical jokes in it, which were clearly very hurriedly replaced for the 92 repeats. And they're not that good. I mean, oh. the, the original ones, which I think might now only exist on offers, were really sharp, really funny. And these are, I mean, what's in it? There is the there's stuff about Britain loses some dates from the calendar in a bet with the EU. There's a good one, which is train drivers go on strike because they point out that rails get closer as it yes. approaches their rise. <laughs> with narrow gauge rolling stock, we would easily become derailed. <laughs> and there's also, you see, this kind of challenges the myth that i know to most people is that chris morris did a tape of the queen's speech and beat michael heseltine to death with it because he's <laughs> some maverick producer of tv's today's the day with martin lewis you know uh, <laughs> featuring on mando anacucci and alma cogan as the radio <laughs> website once said but the actual thing was he did an edit of the queen's speech on the glr show i've never quite narrowed it down i think it was in 1991 so it would have been just after the On the Hour Christmas special originally went out. And then it was included in the repeat version of it. Now, if there was that much trouble... I'm not saying there wasn't kerfuffle about it, but if it was that problematic, how did it go out on Radio 4 later in the year? Yeah, that is strange. More or less the exact whole tape of it. I want to hear the edited speech. (laughs) I think we can probably put it in now. And then on Christmas Day itself, the Queen addressed the Commonwealth in a speech that revealed more than a little of the strain of her annus horribilis. I first came here for Christmas as a grandchild. My great-grandfather, King Edward VII, used to bring food and try to put it behind us. Nowadays, my grandchildren come here for the source, tension and violence. So, Queen's Speech aside, what are your feelings about On The Hour in retrospect? I remember listening to it endlessly when I first met. So, I heard it on BBC Seven. I then found it online. Probably the copies that Ian put up there. There's definitely <laughs> been points where, like, people that I have later become friends with have uploaded various things to to the internet, and I've not realised it was them until later. Probably some of your stuff as well. Yeah, yeah. About it. Did you ever download Gorby the Man in His Music? The Peter no, I, I, I did not do <laughs> that, that no. <laughs> thank you for Thank you for your service, though. At one point, I was pretty much, like, if there was an on-the-hour karaoke i would have been note perfect at one point um it's gone now the chimp the piano world's not going ape for you because i'd already heard lee and herring it was like oh i get okay this is proto lee and herring for chunks of it because i obviously heard the versions before all the lee and herring stuff had been taken out and then put back in again yeah that was uh, we should just explain that was the bbc radio collection cassette of it where there was a contractual dispute and they had to take out all Lee and Herring material. And those are not really very good compilations, I don't think. No. They don't reflect the show at all. I mean, I have seen... There is a copy floating around of the letter that Armando Unici originally sent to them saying, you know, hello, remember me from university, remember me from weekending, I've found this guy on local radio who does this incredible stuff. Yeah. Here's some ideas we've been discussing for a show. What would you throw into a mix? The ideas are more like stuff from Chris Morris's DJ show mm. with bits of what are very evidently Armando ideas. Yeah. Not to detract from either of them, but it's the missing ingredient, it's that hint of absurdity yeah. that they threw into the mix, bridging the two together. And with Without those elements, you know, because the, the cassettes don't have things like Barton's matches. <laughs> <laughs> we can't, we can't, we can't start talking about Barton's matches. We'll be here all day. I won't be able to breathe if we do. But bits, Who bits... in sodomy wrote that? <laughs> There's 
bits missing from the middle of sketches has not got thank god it's satire day which is the <laughs> weekending sent up yes it was yes. there's names edited out like well like Lionel Cosgrave you know that they evidently came up with and I mean to, to be fair some some of the like when, when they've edited around the name of Lionel Cosgrave <laughs> it, and, and turned it into a different name it I, <laughs> bloody hell Armando well done but <laughs> it feels ridiculous that you had to do that <laughs> yeah on the hour in general was fairly formative for me but it definitely feels very early 90s at this point i don't mean that in a bad way i don't know that you could do something with radio 4 as it is now in the same way so important i would say to me personally but maybe not as important as it was <laughs> well yeah it has kind of fallen off the radar a bit i think yeah i don't think it deserves to have fallen off i think no no i think it's one that it, it's you know, it comes around every now and again on 4 Extra, but not nearly as much as it did. But I think that's just because they've got a bigger archive that they're allowed to play with now, whereas in the BBC Seven days, we've got half a dozen things, and several of them are Claire in the community. So, <laughs> Which well, has ended now, it's ended. <laughs> OK, well, I'm going to take this opportunity to move on to the second one that you've picked out, which is, after on the hour, I mean, obviously Chris Morris did the day-to-day, but for a while... I don't think he had his sights set on being a comedy performer because obviously he did Why Bother with Peter Cook on Radio 3, which yeah. if you're interested, people, you can read a bit more about in my book, The Lark's Ascending. Okay. There's new info about that in there. But he also, because Radio 1 went through a massive overhaul around that time. A lot of presenters were binned. A lot of new ones were brought in. He was always on the books because a lot of the people he'd worked with at local radio had come in. And I don't think they quite knew what they were letting themselves in for, but I, I don't think they knew at all based on what happened well let's just hear a bit of what happened and then we'll talk about it Okay, in today's uh, lovely hen, festive sods of the day include Peter Stringfellow and Martin Lewis, interviewed by human cattle prod Peter Hamill. Paul Garner is right now looking for a taxi in Cambridge to bother. Peter Bainham's in today. He's trying to look through the speaker of your radio to see you. (coughs) We'll come back to him later. Also today... As the events rhino canters loosely round the news playpen, we keep you up to date. The main story so far, Jimmy Savile drops dead at the Stoke Mandeville Boxing Day bash, but the patients are far from mourning. The majority, if not all of them, are extremely relieved that he's now dead. Although I suspect that some of them will be sorry that he, he didn't suffer a great deal more. OK, well, by 1994, you know, I said there was 16 when On the Hour was on. Obviously, it was at university by that point. Wednesday nights, there's a lot of socialising going on, but I would not leave the house until I had heard the Chris Morris music show, just in case I missed something amazing on it. Throughout the year, for various reasons, he kept being taken off, ranging from the... Now, he did not announce the death of Michael Heseltine. I will argue I mean, with people about that until te- I'm blue in the you, face. You are technically correct. I am he technically correct. <laughs> if you want to know all about that, oh, there's a book called Fun at One by me about comedy on Radio 1. There are other things like when he recorded an interview with Frankie Valley, and Frankie Valley's publicist phoned up and he recorded the <laughs> conversation with the publicist and the following week's show had to be postponed because he had to put an apology in, which was read by everyone bar him involved with the show over all apologies by Nirvana. There were all kinds of gaps in it, but then... Then, amazingly, considering all of that, they gave him 1pm till 3pm on Boxing Day. Phil, where were you when you first heard this? We're going to come to what my actual entry point to all this was later. But after hearing the thing we're going to talk about in a bit and on the hour, I then went looking on the Internet for where can I find more of these things? And I found it on a sort of a Chris Morris related forum that had downloads of Basically everything at that point extant that he'd done, which included some of the music shows, which you know gradually got added to over time, as well as low quality real media videos of Brass Eye at that point, <laughs> which was because it wasn't you know it wasn't commercially available at that time, so that that's the reason. But yeah, so that's you know I originally heard it in very low bitrate record. Well, I suppose they're all all copies of it are recorded off tape, aren't they? At this point, because no one's uh, commercially released these. Well, there was nearly a BBC Radio collection album of it. It was pulled. <laughs> I, I, I can there. imagine why. <laughs> so yeah, this is 
two hours on Boxing Day of I don't even know where to start with how did so with Radio One being what it is now, it's difficult enough to imagine having comedy on it at all in the first place let alone letting Chris Morris loose for two hours with apparently minimal supervision, given what this consists of. I don't I don't know where to start, Tim. Where do we start? Well, I'll kind of start with, it's basically, it's not correct to say it's highlights from the series, because a lot of it is reperformed. Yeah. And a couple of bits were toned down, actually. The bit about Anna Pasternak's Diana biography, that is very much toned down <laughs> for the original version. Some of the stuff, I remember thinking, they are not going to do that in the daytime and they did. did they did it's interesting to point out this juncture that the repeat of the diana thing it's a second thing on it the first item is jimmy savile drops dead at the stoke vanderbilt <laughs> boxing day bash but the patients are far from mourning <laughs> now that had gone out very early in the run with slightly different wording and been unnoticed. When it was in this show on the daytime, Saffle soothed them Again. and gave a, a, a rotten quote to the press about something like, oh, well, I was in Northumberland, so you could say I was in heaven or something like that. But it's interesting that I'm not going to say, you know, I'm not going to do the they all new thing. I think as somebody who had worked in local radio, I've yeah. probably covered a lot of charity stuff. Chris Morris had probably heard things, which is backed up by the fact the other person who had to go at him on Radio 1 who actually, in a phone call to the Jimble Fixer production office, accused him of being kept away from the children on Jimble Fix It, was Victor Lewis Smith, who came through exactly the same route. And I think it's probably also worth pointing out, you know, based on the on-the-hour connection that we talked about before, there's a real dig at him in an episode of This Morning with Richard, not Judy. Yes! Um, <laughs> Not not remotely subtle, the one there. It's even <laughs> less subtle than this one is. Um, so, yeah, it, it, I'm not going to say they knew. Um, clearly, some people did. And uh, I don't know. That's depressing, isn't it? Anyway. <laughs> well, I think the first thing to say is that in amongst all the shock material, there's a lot of silliness. I mean, there's a priceless bit, which I think may have been new for this show, about Alan Rickman in a wheelbarrow being pushed round it by people for charity <laughs> while, he, while he told them about the homeless. But he'd been stuck in one place for two weeks. <laughs> Nobody had moved him. <laughs> and there's hell of the bottom carter whoring for charity as well as <laughs> specialties of golden shower. Oh. But there is some really quite strong stuff there. Oh, uh, I will mention as well, and I may put this at the end of the show, REM's whale meat. Oh, God. <laughs> I can't say that sentence without laughing. It's a full-length song as well. Yes, it's not just yes. like a 30-second slip. Yeah. It goes on for like three minutes. One bit that sort of I was kind of darkly impressed by was the bit where he phones up John Selwyn Gummer to get quotes for the following day's news bulletin in case of industrial action. Yeah, And I was impressed by the way that Gummer just fired stuff out ready yeah. for broadcast and there what was no... he gets it's two different answers contradictory answers based on which way a vote goes about Europe yes now that still has resonance now I'm saying oh no absolutely they're, they're talking about you know Britain giving up its veto which given that we're recording this on the day of the general election has <laughs> eh. but it's it's the fact that John Selwyn Gummer a human being I have nothing but contempt for as a general rule just delivers content that, that a news broadcaster could use with no hesitation. And Morris is just going, well, can you say something about, uh, you've talked about the Liberal Democrats, can you say something about Labour? What if Labour changed their position on it? What if, it's like all the, it's like a choose your own adventure of <laughs> news articles. Do not put your finger in John Selwyn Gummer to hold your place. Do not do that. That's not okay. <laughs> and then there's the, 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 the grimmest bit of all has to be Peter Bainham finding the corpse of Johnny Walker in the other studio and then them playing his vocal cords like bagpipes. Yes, they reanimate him. <laughs> they don't reanimate him. They're just blowing air across his vocal cords. <laughs> and the bit that really got me with it is where they, they move 
the body from one from the other studio to their studio. You can hear the flies buzzing around because yeah. <laughs> he's been in there for days. It's appalling, but but it is funny. Yeah, I mean that kind of points me towards something that I don't think Chris Morris always got right when he moved into TV was you can do stuff in radio like that where it's it's shocking and it's offensive. It. And yeah, you can't see it because there's, there's a show earlier in the run where somebody posts them a tortoise to autograph oh, and they accidentally smash it now that is funny on the radio particularly with the ridiculous sound effects they put on yeah i was gonna say to be they fair, did they... that in the program oh my yeah. god to be clear they don't accidentally smash it peter bainham is talked into removing it from its shell that's <laughs> I was what trying happened. to make this sound a bit more sanitized <laughs> no it's gross it's gross <laughs> and you need to describe it as such because after after removing it from its shell he then convinces him to yell at it to get it to go back in again <laughs> And there's another one where they decide they need <laughs> a younger element to the show and they kidnap a baby from the street. Oh God, they do. And then release it from the window on helium balloons at the end to float back to its mother. And again, you know, well, you only have to look at it. In this later Radio 1 series, Blue Jam, there was the monologue, which I think lasts for 12 minutes, about Rothko the dog. Yes. About a sort of philosophical dog that still exhibits sort of savage dog-like behaviour and goes around mauling ducks and attacking families <laughs> at a christening. That, on the radio, is one of my favourite things ever, but they made a film based on it, which oh, is my, just grotesque. Oh, my wrongs, isn't it? Yeah. Yeah, I mean, there's definitely bits, you know, we're going off on a tangent here, but there's definitely bits from Blue Jam that work better on the radio than they do in, in yeah. Jam, the TV show, because when you actually see those things, instead of them just being described, it's not okay. It's <laughs> really not okay. It all gets a bit too real, I think is the best way of describing well, it. Well, I don't think the Nevada board game that they got for Christmas, which is in this, will, will work very well visually. <laughs> no, no, it wouldn't. <laughs> it was only very shortly after Kurt Cobain had committed suicide as well. Of course and it also was. after, because Armando Unucci was a radio on DJ around then as well. He was. But he didn't make it to Christmas, but he did some jokes about Kurt Cobain, and a caller phoned up and was quite yeah. unamused by it. It, it wasn't, wasn't okay. an easy ride to do those kind of jokes. It was quite risky, but we're kind of avoiding the elephant in the room here, which is a real big risky bit of the show, which is the taxi driver stunt. Oh, God. See, I... <laughs> right. I think we have to provide the context for that. Yes. In, in yeah. 1994, mobile phones were not a, a commonly had no, thing. No, no. And in an, an earlier episode of the show, he just asked for anyone with a mobile phone to call in, and a chap called Paul Garner phoned in. Right, that was actually slightly subterfuge, because they had worked together at Radio Cambridge. Oh. I think, as I understand it, Paul Garner was on work experience, and they just bonded over a love okay. of humour. But he became kind of like, because he was always doing mad things for Chris Morris's local radio shows. But the madness that he got him to do on the Radio 1 show. Yeah. Which ranged from getting obscene names read out at airports, going into really dodgy corner shops and arguing with them that the money was wrong. Yeah. Not, not well, it was the wrong change, the money itself. Had bees coming out of it. Yes! Yeah. <laughs> uh, did he roll around on the floor of an expensive hotel lobby? Yes, he In did. Fact, on the mobile phone all the time. Yeah. Quite often singing Boogie Nights as well, which added to it. But this one, there are some elements of it I'm not comfortable with now, because no. basically he was posing as a, I would say somebody with learning difficulties. Yeah. Nervous about getting a taxi. Although, to me, that will always be slightly leavened by the fact that he had covered himself with an entire bottle of TCP, which is lost on the radio. It really is. There's no need. Yeah, there's <laughs> absolutely no need. It adds nothing. You could just say you'd done it, and no one would know. But yeah. How far are you from the taxis? Ten yards. Okay, approach the, t approach the taxi. Okay, Remember, I'm your dad. I'm doing it now. This is the first taxi journey you've ever been on. Yeah, I'm looking at the taxi. I'm about two yards in front of it. Make a nice, friendly face to him. Yeah, okay. I'm doing it. And get in the cab, say you want to go somewhere in Cambridge. Okay, here we go. I'm getting in it now. Do you mind if I get in the front, please? Oh, shit. He's letting me in the front. He's having to move stuff off the seat. Cool. But how would you describe what happens? I have. I think I've found over listening to these, I have an issue with involving people who have not asked to be involved in stuff like this. So the phone call to the RSPCA in the on the hour and... Uh, 
Well, earlier in this, you got that poor woman he phones up in America and tells her that the terrestrial dolphin is on the loose. Yeah, and there's another one of the American ones as well, isn't there? There's, there's two phone calls to him. That's oh, the airport. That's yeah, the airport. But, the but the airport one the basically yeah. shuts him down, which is, yes, is fine. Yeah. And I, I appreciate him putting in one of the ones that didn't really work. But yeah, I don't... I don't know what to say about this one, Tim. I don't like it. Well, I am going to say it's more an experience than Mm. a laugh. And genuinely, when I was writing for the one, I spoke to Paul Garner, who was very helpful, apart from when it came to that, and he said, I can't really think about that. Okay. Because what happens is he just gets pestered by Chris and Peter into doing things like repeatedly getting the taxi driver to stop so he can adjust the wing mirrors. Because, yeah, that's right, he has to get in the front as well. Yeah. And then says, oh, shit, he's letting me in the front. And the taxi driver, I, I take your point about not involving people who don't know they're involved. The taxi driver's a bit of a wanker. Oh, no, he is. But there's a there's a difference for me between phoning up John Selwyn Gummer, who is, who, who is trying to do something to, you know, make himself look better, and this but there is he gets the taxi driver gets nastier and nastier Mm. and there's a lot of nervous laughter when he says i don't need this verbal earache which is a brilliant phrase it is (laughs) they're not exactly having hysterics but then he seems to get really aggressive and i would say i've said this before chris morris comes out of character at that point Mm. and starts to say pay him pay him pay him pay him pay him and then tries to get to speak to him himself and it is it's a staggering way to... Well, it doesn't end the show because that's something I don't really want to relate about religious news. Yeah, let's not. let's not. Let's not go near <laughs> But yeah, the, the taxi driver stunt. I mean, I thought the other Paul Garner things were, you know, quite out there, but that was astonishing. But yeah. I will say even that there was some, there's something that... There's a couple of things from the regular show that aren't represented here, which is different. You know, there's no appearances by Sergeant Murphy, who was a weird vox popper who just talked gibberish. I love Sergeant Murphy. I love I... Sergeant... <laughs> no, I love that one where he says, well, you go to see Barbara Streisand. He says, I can't stand that man. He's not married, you know. <laughs> there's no sock quiz or cow quiz. A couple of other things aren't represented, but... A couple of weeks before this, they did a very long sketch about Chris claiming he knew a priest in the Vatican that hated the church, who'd sent him a photocopy of the Nicene block, explaining how the church rewrote pagan traditions for the Christmas festival. And originally, Jesus was the large charismatic chicken that was strong enough to fool some of the gullible locals into following it. <laughs> that does not appear in this. Wow. And yet, there are the other Christmassy themed bits, like the bit where they go shopping for all the things with crescent moons <laughs> they all turn up in there so somebody might have said do you know what that's a little bit too far for boxing day yeah probably did yeah the christmas gift segment is you know <laughs> largely harmless really yeah it's yeah. a silly bit it's with it's a bubble bath for wise foam yeah <laughs> Oh, that's right. It's got special beard and glasses you put on the bubble bath so it's wise phone. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, there are harmless bits. And there are, in contrast to the bits that, you know, we variously have issues with, there are some celebrity interviews which are absolutely fantastic. The Peter Stringfellow one, <laughs> where I'm going to say, you know, everyone has ideological issues with Peter Stringfellow. I think he was somebody who was aware of his own absurdity. Yes. And he didn't mind, to an extent, being made fun of. No, I think he comes across better than you would expect yes. in that interview. Yeah, yeah. Particularly at the end of it, where he says, you can't say that. That's Let's, yes. n- let's not use that word. And there's also, he's clearly read a brief history of time. Yeah. But that's thrown in almost as if to challenge him. He knows <laughs> about the string theory and the bubble theory so he's not just you know seeing the cover of it that is great because he he just reacts as peter string relates to everything because he said there's a bit where he says you had your menu in french and morris says you had your menu in you like fire them players <laughs> he just goes well, well, yeah he can come in the club finney jones comes in the club <laughs> and there's also i mean there's the john selwyn gummer one mm. there's the I love this so much. The Martin Lewis one, where it was newsreader <laughs> Martin Lewis, who around that point had 
caused a massive kerfuffle by saying television and the radio only reported the bad news and there should be more good news. He did, didn't he? Yeah, and there's a whole... I mean, there's, there's elements of he's pressed almost on the idea of fake news yeah. in this interview. But the main thing is it was a press junket because... This book. What hubris is this? He'd done a book for school leavers. He had done a book to advise someone how to find careers. Why did one hear that from Martin Lewis? Obviously, Morris is having none of this, and he challenged him to find if someone was interested in photography and said, Look under F. The bit that I like with it is where he's going through, uh, you know, he doesn't edit it down. It's him Mm. literally looking through the index of a book and and trying different things and just Morris going, it doesn't work. It doesn't work. (laughs) Deservedly so, because it doesn't at all. It clearly doesn't work. And there's also, bless them, poor old Two Unlimited, who are clueless. Oh, yes. They're so lovable in their responses. Like when he says, you say no 12 times in a row, is that not negative? And say, well, it got to number one. <laughs> when he, he says, do you think anything should be limited? What about gangster rap? If Snoop Dogg pulls out a piece, should that be limited? Says, yeah, but that's just in a video. But the best thing is, <laughs> when you sing Reach for the Sky, is that a tribute to Douglas Park? <laughs> like, wow, that guy must be a hero. And it's explains to them. And Anita just goes, We'll reach for the sky, Douglas. <laughs> and those yeah. are wonderful. I mean, I'm, earlier in the series, they were really, like, he really went for some people that mm. deserved it. I mean, the Tony Parsons one. Yeah. I remember having hysterics up. I think there is a certain amount of license that I am okay with when someone has has, has put themselves in that space. I think that's fair enough. You you are entitled to ridicule someone that is being ridiculous. That's that's fair enough. Yeah. Well, and I would also, from the other side of the coin, throw in, this has got a few of the feedback reports in it, which are kind of an extension of the Vox Pop thing he did yeah. on the hour where he would stop members of the public and ask them for their opinions on ridiculous Nonsense. fictitious things like uh, wide face trouble is one of these and yes. rather than saying I don't know what that is or as in one he actually broadcast earlier in the run somebody saying why are you talking in that stupid voice yes these people throwing furious opinions about I think, nonsense. I feel like the 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 one about wide faces and how wide faces should be, and should they taper to a point, or should yeah. they should they be parallel? Children can cheat in exams like, by using their wide face to look yeah. over shoulders. I feel like that guy's playing along rather than actually mm. having an opinion. If that makes sense. some of them, you're right. They definitely are mm. just expressing furious opinions about yes. nonsense. Yes. This the fact that he's like, what? How wide should a face be? About two. Two what? Two feet? <laughs> so that's clearly nonsense. That's clearly just someone playing along, uh, which I'm fine with because it was still fun. Okay, here's today's second feedback report. We're looking today at spherical cattle, making them round. Do you agree with that? I don't agree with that. How would a spherical cow get around its pen? Well, I should think you'd have to put some sort of uh, netting round it to guide it. So what's that, could just get a grip on the net? That's right. You couldn't leave it in the field or anything like that. Well, imagine if it was in a pen and the water was at the other end of the pen and it was thirsty. How would it manage? Well, can they smell it? Well, I suppose they'd have a nose on the on the circumference. Well, yeah, is it? They've got to have some sort of a smell of it. Let's assume they have. They roll to it. It's interesting you only heard this later, because as I say, I was... It was university vacation, so I was back in my old bedroom where I listened to the On The Hour Christmas special, actually. And I remember a bit of a hangover, just lying there, just thinking, I cannot believe they are getting away with this. <laughs> and it's also worth saying that the records in it I mean, it's not as adventurous as your last choice we've come back to in any way. It's the absolute best sort of indie and hip-hop record of the year. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Because he had great taste in music. I remember thinking, this is great, except he keeps playing guitar and keyboards over the yeah, top, he, which he did a lot. He did, like, just ruining things, didn't he? <laughs> But that was an important thing of the show to me, was that he clearly loved this music, but liked taking the piss out of it at the same time. The one thing that always really stayed with me was there was a show where the theme was he lost his temper halfway through and walked out. I've never been able to tell whether this was scripted or an accident. When he gets up to walk out, he knocks the guitar and says, fucking guitar. <laughs> you know, it makes a jangling sound. But it starts off with... he. I think he actually opens the show with Tracy Jacks by Blur. And, you know, Park Life had only just come out. And it's in that weird six-month phase where people forget it did not take off straight away. It was a big indie album for most of 1994. Mm. 
it was only when it started winning awards that you know people you went to school with would come up to you that Christmas and say, "Oh, we like indie now," <laughs> which, <laughs> which genuinely did happen a couple of times. But he played Tracy Jacks, and after the last repetition of "I'd love to stay here and be normal," he said, "Yeah, and I'd like to stay here and sound exactly like the champ." <laughs> It was an absolute solid show. Comedy-wise and music-wise, it was streets above most things on Radio 1. Yeah. And it was inevitable it wasn't going to last past the end of the year for a number of reasons. Partly because Brass Eye had been commissioned. Partly because I think they were probably looking at putting him somewhere else in another Yeah, I was going to say, (laughs) he was determined to burn any and all goodwill as rapidly as possible, wasn't he? Yeah, they tried out quite a few comedians as DJs around that time. Because obviously Armando was pretty good because he had been a DJ before he became a comedy producer. And he, he kind of plays it down now, but he knew a lot about, particularly about lo-fi American music. Him and Chris Morris were pretty much the best. I mean, there were other people that were given shows like Simon Munnery did it as Alan Parker, Urban Warrior. It didn't quite work. Yeah. Alan Davis, sometimes the show was brilliant, other weeks it just fell apart. But the absolute best ones are your last choice let's just hear them introducing their Christmas show I'm Stuart Lee. And my Christmas name is Richard Herring. Yay. You're just hey. course preparing for the Lee and Herring Xmas party. Hey. All the gang are here getting ready for our guests. I'm decking the bows with the studio with Holly. What about you, Ronnie Ankara? Oh, I'm very busy, I am. I'm yep. making a list and I'm checking it twice just to make sure I didn't make some tiny error the first time I checked it. Good idea. What about you, Kev? <laughs> I'm polishing my white beard and thinking about the tiny baby Christ Peters. Oh, hey, <laughs> what about you, Pete? What are you doing? Uh, I'm making a buffet and oh. having goodwill. Oh, oh, yeah. And we're all eagerly awaiting for our special celebrity guests to arrive so the festivities can get underway. Well... We're not really. We're just sitting in a dingy studio in Radio 1, as usual, and all the people on this week's show are just sitting over there opposite me, smoking and drinking beef and tomato soup out of the Radio 1 drinks machine. Stu, you'll spoil the magical illusion for the little kiddie winks. Oh, sorry. Uh, Yes, it is exciting. I'll just put this decoration up then. I put on Wigfield's rendition of Wham's Last Christmas. What? Which is frankly much better than the Dow original. You listen back to George Michael's curmudgeonly voice when you hear it next time. Okay. No prizes for guessing who that was. <laughs> Phil, tell us how you first said Lee and Herring. I'm trying to work out what the sequence of events must have been, because I remember hearing them on the radio, but it was after they'd been on telly. So had they did they repeat these at some no, point? They were first on. I mean, they did Fist of Fun as a sketch show on yeah. Radio 1, late 93. They had a DJ stint in 94, yeah. where I think they did the pilot, TV pilot of Fist of Fun. Yeah. Then they did a stint in the first half of 95, which ended with them getting in a limo to do Fist of Fun, the TV series, the first series of that. And then they came back immediately after that, followed by series two of Fist of Fun. That'll be it then, because I, I would, uh, I've, I'd seen them on TV, because I used to just watch whatever comedy was on, because you didn't have options then. You know, there was stuff like, obviously, the glam metal detectives. There was that Craig Ferguson show that he had on at like 11 oh, o'clock at the night. the Ferguson Theory. Yes. yes. Do yes. not Google the Ferguson Theory these days, Tim. You'll find out about shootings in America. You won't find his show. I just devoured everything that was available and Fist of Fun was one of those things and it's one of those that hit exactly the right bits of my brain uh, is responsible for many of the friendships I currently have, including you I would yes. say there's, there's, uh, including several at university you know, I've got friends from university that I wouldn't have had, had I not been on the Fist of Fun website in the uh, in the computer room and one of the people on my course was like, oh they're great, what have you found? It's like, this is all the why not try that you could get by pausing it is uh, they're all great uh, which are obviously all in the book as well but anyway um so yeah i would have seen that and then they were on the radio so i found it on the radio and then again yeah later on it was finding copies of that online and lionel nimrod's inexplicable world and uh, not the end of the road show because that wasn't available at that point i think my lionel nimrod's were encoded by our friend daryl but he says it wasn't um, no it was me it was you it was bloody hell. Lionel nimrod. yes yeah Oh, and I saw Lyle and Nimrod being recorded. Wow. But anyway, yeah. So this in particular, um, I can't remember if I heard it go out at the time. I probably did. <laughs> that cover of Last Christmas is... Does that count for Whamageddon? That's an important question <laughs> yeah. I've got. Because we may have just... Wigageddon, that is. We need, you, you need to stick a warning at the start of this episode that <laughs> with a timestamp that says if you do not wish to be whammed, then not to be confused with the wham bar, of course, or the stinger tube bar. Or the smeldon bar. Or the smeldon bar. <laughs> just, 
Lee and Herring are, you know, I, I've said on the Aaron stuff, were formative. This is this is it, really. This is my sense of humour is this with other bits added on to it over time. <laughs> I don't even know how to explain to people that have not heard Lee and Herring why I I love it as much as I well, do. Well, I've got kind of an explanation for what their Radio 1 show was because it was almost like, I mean, we have to start by saying Stuart Lee is an obsessive music fan. He is. Rich is less so, but, you know, he loves Ice tea, the Sex Pistols, Buzzcocks, the Jam, people like that. So it was not going to be Last Christmas by Wickfield right the way throughout. Once somebody said a music obsessive alone would have reason to listen to this show, and I think that's absolutely true. And we'll come back to some of the things they put in under the guise of Christmas records <laughs> later. But the setup reminded me of the way their characters worked together. It was almost like they were teenage misfits who weren't really friends, but nobody else liked them, so they were each other's friends. Yes, they come round to each other to play records on a Friday night, and their stinking mate Peter, played by <laughs> Peter Bainham, had tagged along as well. Now, that is the same Peter Bainham for the Chris Morris Music Show. He was on both shows concurrently, which is occasionally referenced, including when somebody wrote into Lee and Herring and said, how come you're all stupid on the Lee and Herring show, but you're, like, really clever on the Chris Morris show? And he said, the Chris Morris man gives me lots of drugs. <laughs> Uh, uh, to be fair, they also changed him from being Peter Bainham to just being Peter and yeah. and still lampshaded why they'd done it as well. That was... <laughs> yeah, it was exactly like that, though. It was like, you know, kind of saying, oh, here's my giant sand record. I bet you've never heard that. No, no, I haven't. <laughs> <laughs> how, what, how is it that, that Stuart introduces one of the records in this? It's like I've, that I've got and you haven't. <laughs> oh, it's the, the drugstore. It is. single. It's like, they're unique amongst Britpop bands being fronted by an old Brazilian woman. Who looks like my nan. <laughs> Which Isabella must be delighted by. I don't think she was even that old, you know. <laughs> but yeah, so the, the opening to this is... It's just an excuse for prattling about. That's all it is. It's playing a Wigfield song while Ronnie Ancona and Kevin Eldon do stupid voices. And specifically, they make Kevin Eldon talk, have several of his characters talk to each other. Well, including, this is the interesting thing about them on the radio, was they always saw it as a place to you know develop and try new ideas. Yes. And there are a number of things in this that they didn't do on TV until later. Mr. Kennedy and Mr. Harris. The two teachers. very different teachers, yeah. Yeah, Histor and Pliny are in this. Yes, they are. Yeah. Where they change history by killing Jesus. <laughs> Anthony Hopkins and his letters. Oh, as voiced <laughs> include, by Peter Serafinowicz. Yes, and they also mentioned that somebody had written in to say that a friend had sent her a Christmas card with that in and her mum had seen it and had banned her from seeing him. <laughs> OK, before we go on, actually, with the festivities here tonight, we're legally obliged to broadcast the following letter in order to avoid court proceedings, which is in reference to a certain item in last week's show about the actor Anthony Hopkins. Dear Lee and Herring, I am writing to protest in the strongest possible terms about the sketches last week in which I, Anthony Hopkins, a respected Oscar-winning actor, was implied to be harbouring repressed sexual desires for my co-starring actresses, desires which eventually vented themselves in a most disturbing and perverted way. I deny this completely and will be seeking legal advice. Yours sincerely, Anthony Hopkins. P.S. I am wanking as I write this. <laughs> and also, Rich's obsession with Julia Sawala, who he later went out with in well, real life. He says in this one specifically that he saw her at the loaded party but didn't go and talk to her. And you think, oh, that's really weird, man. <laughs> um, there's also the fake Rod Hall. Yes. Turned up the next day to Fist of Fun. And I think this is, it's not the introduction of there being several versions of him, but Rod Halls keep turning up. Yes. And ejecting each other for being fake. And then a listener phones off and says, I want to know why he's aiming in the studio. I'm not here. I'm at home in my pink windmill. And they just screech at each other. Him and Kevin Elton, this listener and Kevin Elton. Do you remember how they decide to resolve their Yes, their it's impasse. a Rodhall duel. Yeah. <laughs> E-music e door. On Waterloo Bridge. <laughs> and then it ends with Rich saying, is the pink windmill in Hextable Farm? <laughs> yes, that's right. <laughs> Hey, good old Mark Radcliffe. And we got another caller on the line. Who's on the line now? Hello? Hello? Who's that? It's Rod Hull. It's Rod Hull? What's what? your question? Yes. Who do you want to ask? What do you want to ask question? I want to know why you saw him in the studio when clearly I am not. I am at home in my pink windmill. Mm. you. Ask that one, How dare you? Anyone can tell I'm the real Rod Hull. You're only talking to my straw. Shut up. And my pointy chin. Stop it. 
windmill in Hextable, then it says on here. Well, okay. Yes, that's right. <laughs> Is it good? Well, thanks, Rod. Thanks Hull, for ringing in. If Rod. that was you. So yeah, they were actively using this show to generate new material. They weren't just turning up. A couple of years ago, when they was promoting Fun at One, I actually uploaded the Man We Like to Have the Space Special. They did. <laughs> Oh God! Where Peter comes in and they say you're coming in from outer space, no, from outer side. <laughs> <laughs> Leonard Nimoy, the Rory Prepper of outer space. But I remember Rich posted about that on warming up that I'd uploaded it and said that he loved the fact there were so many ideas in it he just couldn't remember. Yeah, they just spewed stuff out, didn't they? There was no yeah. no filter to it. You felt like you were because radio is a more intimate medium than television in many ways. You sort of felt like you were in on something a bit because it didn't feel like this was supposed to be being yeah. broadcast and certainly no one else was supposed to be listening to it <laughs> in, in a good way, not in a what is this way. Well, also in the show, you've got the Mediocrity Awards. Of course you <laughs> Raise have. the Roof with Bob Holner seems to get nominated quite a lot. It does. That was there's, very bad. <laughs> there's a lot of very odd records, including No Christmas for John Keys by The Fall, which yeah. is about drug addicts dying at Christmas. <laughs> and... <laughs> And also, Peter brings in Cold Turkey by John Lennon and the Plastic Ono Band. (laughs) (laughs) He thinks it's Cold Turkey, so the turkey is calculating. (laughs) No, it's it's the way that that Stu just cuts across it at one point and goes, yeah, this uh, this is about coming off heroin. But it's like, no, it's about, it's about turkey. There's Christmas in Hollis by Run DMC, which yeah. isn't a Christmas record that gets played very often. But they end with Fairy Tale in New York, where it was a tradition at the end of the shows, they play something and be quite unabashed about pointing out the moral dubiousness of it. I mean, the one I always remember is they once ended with The Girls in the Streets by Scott Walker. <laughs> and finished by saying, don't forget to do what Scott does and go out and sleep with the girls in the streets. <laughs> yes, they do. <laughs> I was actually quite tempted. I'll be honest with you. <laughs> but yeah, they, they do point out the lyrical issues with Fairy with Tale of New York. It's not being revered there, should we say. No. Even though they clearly like it. Yeah, absolutely. You know, they, they, I mean, they obviously like everything that they play. Apart from I Am Star Wars Today, in one of the yeah, okay. shows where they, they repeatedly go on about how bad it is. Yeah. And in, in another episode, there is that one that one song that uh, that Peter really doesn't like. Oh, Some Velvet Morning by Nancy Starsh and the Hazelwood, where, but they was never heard it. It's a duet between Nancy to sort of sing song bits as Phaedra, and Lee Hazelwood does very dark, menacing bits about a man who's under a spell. He's frightened of the man with the deep voice. And the bits alternate more as the song goes on. He keeps saying, I wasn't ready. I think, doesn't he say, you won't play that again, will you? And they say, no, not unless we're passing your house. We play it through the window. They are horrible to Peter. Yeah. <laughs> And it's also worth saying that right at the end of this, there's the biblical tale of Jacob the Maggot, which they, they really <laughs> did love attacking Bible stories. I mean, my favourite must be Jesus came and knocking. <laughs> but it's the thing about, you know, when Jesus turns up, like, in disguise. Yeah. I'll be around for a feast. And he, I guess I mean, so all the food are in and punches him. <laughs> no, not and in disguise. The, you, yeah. as you. <laughs> And there's the, the prodigal son as well, which points out how unfair that story is. <laughs> Jacob the Maggot is the rated by Annabelle Giles, who weirdly was on Rahulastapur recently. Yes, she was. Yeah, I've not listened to that one yet. It ends with Jacob being killed by the other jealous animals in the stable because Jesus loved him. Yeah, trampled him to death. <laughs> it's us then, the sheep, isn't it, for our wool? We are the lambs of God. Ah, no, I hate all sheep, said oh. the prodigious baby. My favourite creature is over there, in that dung, the tiny maggot. (gasps) The animals were stunned and Jacob could not believe his maggot ears. Good morning, dear maggot. I am the baby Jesus, the saviour prince of legend, and I have come to deliver all from evil. It was kind of the Christmas of Lee and Herring then. It shows you how big they could have been was, as well as this show, there was the Fist of Fun CD, the live video and the Fist of Fun book, which... As far as I'm concerned, it's still the funniest comedy book ever. The, the book is great. That video, woof. It's... Yeah, I'm glad it exists. But... It's, it's not their best work. No. But the book, I mean, if you've never read the Fist of Fun book, please, there are scans of it online. Go and read it. The bit that always, always gets to me. Again, shows how much they loved and knew about music, but like making fun of it as well. The pages where they talk about their favourite music. 
the two bits that really get to me are when Mitch chooses plastic patrons. This is a plan for Mommy, it's a plan for me. The plan for him was to have one hit, appear on BBC TV summertime special with some balloons falling on him and then disappear forever. A, a plan, plan that worked, that worked perfectly. perfectly. Where is he now? Nobody knows nor cares. And there's also the West Coast Pop Art Experimental Band, which again, I was having hysterics when I first read this because they were a band that I discovered through people putting them on compilation tapes for me. Most people I know have never heard a single note by them. They're quite an abstract 60s, late 60s psychedelic garage band who are weird even by those standards. And Stu goes on about how he's got all their records in the original sleeves and you haven't and neither has anyone you know. <laughs> but ends by saying, West Coast Pop Art's experimental band fact. If anyone has any copies of Bob Barkley's solo material that they want to sell, please contact me care of BBC World <laughs> I mean, I'm not surprised that that's the one that you like. I personally like <laughs> Chimney Factory. Yeah. <laughs> I've never heard of them. Have you not? Oh. <laughs> Are they like the Spin Doctors? No, no, they're not. <laughs> you know, they, they were really on the verge of being big. Yeah. But it's a double-edged thing because I think it was partly down to the fact they didn't do the same characters every week on TV. No. It's like you get the you get Peter Dibbed in the driving instructor in some shows but not in others. But it would not have been fist of fun had they done that. No. It would not have worked the same. You wouldn't no. have got like the boy who cried wolf, for example. Or the girl who smelt of spam. Or the girl who smelt of spam. No, yep. that was that was very important. That sounded really sarcastic and it's not. It's... <laughs> um, well her mum yeah. did look her mum did look like a man, so you know. But... <laughs> <laughs> and she had nits. She she didn't have nits. Anyway, <laughs> let's not start just reciting the whole sketch. Um, yeah, I both wish that they had been more successful, and I'm reasonably pleased they're quite niche, because <laughs> if you know and like Lee and Herring, you are a particular sort of person, and I'm definitely one of those people, and it's a useful barometer, I feel. So, but basically, in conclusion, you know, these are three shows that featured a lot of very very famous people i mean in on the hour we didn't even touch on you know rebecca front no. we barely mentioned steve coogan no and yet possibly because they're radio shows but they've all kind of slipped down the back of the sofa a bit which is i find quite sad really because they were very important to me at the time mm. i remember you know because that that was a great christmas 1995 because it was the whole you know i was still at university the whole Britpop thing was going on i was enjoying myself quite a lot should we say yeah okay <laughs> But, I mean, why do you think that is? And what would you do to redress the balance? I mean, 4Extra could repeat on the hour more. I don't think they'd really be allowed to touch the other ones because they're not Radio 4 shows in the first place. There's nowhere for that sort of archive comedy, really, is there, other than just finding it and downloading it? So I don't know what to suggest other than everyone should go and download these illegally. (laughs) Um, Everyone go and steal this stuff and then give it to other people and also listen to it yourselves. That seems like the way to fix this. And as we've already said, I'll be listening to the On The Hour Christmas special on Christmas Day. Phil, will you be listening to Claire in the community? No, I will be burning any copies I can find of Claire in the community. <laughs> A series that is somehow commercially available while most of this is not. And on that note, Phil, Merry Christmas. <laughs> Merry Christmas, Tim. What was that? Merry Christmas, Tim. Voice. <laughs> And there's just time to look at your top five votes for the quotes of the year. In fifth position was Cardinal Basil Hume's shove off butt crust. Fourth, I'm no Teddy Kennedy from Teddy Kennedy. Third, you, 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 you and you, Kenneth Clark. And second, do stop throwing those ice creams at my wife from Terry Waite. And first, it was easy. I just aimed the barrel at his nostrils and pumped half a kilo of lead into his big stupid face. I know it was wrong, but I'm happy now from Frank Sinatra. That's me, it's Christopher Morris, and whoever you are, Happy News Year. I think I'm going to let you know about this. Before I do, let me say thanks to Peter Benham, to Paul Garner, to Ollie and Rebecca. And uh, news just in now. 1FM News and the Catholic Church is in turmoil today after a vision of Christ appeared in Portugal and deeply embarrassed a large number of Boxing Day pilgrims at a holy site where the Virgin Mary has been appearing regularly for 10 years. 
cardinals had been addressing the crowd for 20 minutes when a man who was recognizably Christ appeared dancing in the sky and shouting lewd remarks. Stunned witnesses said he then tore his clothes off and swooped low over the crowd, menacing them with a giant double penis and uttering pornographic runes, among them drink St. Peter's piss and I shag moorhens. A badly shaken Cardinal Hume said later, I began to question my beliefs quite fundamentally when I saw the Lord openly rubbing himself in an impure way, but my faith deserted me completely when he shoved the sun up his ass. Women are lucky to get the clitoris, we just get nipples, you know what I mean? Oh, it leaves that them, grows, yeah. you see, in the press. Today's show was brought to you by Stuart Lee, Richard Herring, Peter Bainham, Kevin Eldon, Ronnie, Veronica Ancona, Sally Phillips and Peter Saravinovitz, and our special real celebrity guest, Annabelle Giles. It was produced by Cathy Smith. Thanks to Chris Neal for laying off the old silly juice long enough to produce the first three shows of the series before slumping into a coma of alcoholic excess like... Uh, Shane yeah. <laughs> Thanks to Ellie and Anne for doing all the real hard work behind the scenes, and Ian and Gary for making sure the sound was switched on. Thanks Hello. to guys there back there. And also to all the nice ladies who talked to you a lot on the phone and had to write down all your childish suggestions and have you reciting Anthony Hopkins' cat. That's right. As uh, Rich said, we're back on the TV in February and we're going to be recording our studio dates in Manchester. Yay. So if you live in the Manchester area, you'll be able to get free tickets. And, we're right, and you're going to contact us any time during the uh, PO Box number, PO Box 168, London, WC2, 9LX. Keep stuff coming in for the gallery, bad photos, anything you want. Merry Christmas. Christmas. See you soon. Here's Mike Radcliffe. Bye. Tomorrow night from 9 till 10. Hello, me again. I just wanted to say that I noticed while I was editing the Lee and Herring section that we didn't actually mention King of All Hobbies, Simon Quinlank, and his Quinlankmas hobby, which I'd just like to apologise for, because, well, that's the kind of mistake Neil Petark would have made. Happy Christmas! When you are hungry, you're not hungry. You are starving. Oh, body, body, nutrient, nutrition. Stomach, stomach, empty, fill it Oh, hey, what's on my plate? No, it's not some fish It's part of your culture to hunt it And it's flipper-licking good Yummy, yum Whale Eat meat, whale meat When you need a treat Song that made REM's Michael Stipe shave his head in shame as they were discovered advocating the benefits of whaling. Fun at One by Tim Worthington. The story of comedy at BBC Radio One from Kenny Everett to Chris Morris and beyond. More details at timworthington.org.